This is KYUK, public radio for the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta. I'm Sunny Bean. A recent cold snap in rural Alaska tested the limits of power plants from Anchorage to the YK Delta. As KYUK's Emily Schwing reports, keeping the lights on in sub-zero temperatures is not easy. In Muktarvik, a loss of power means other critical infrastructure also saw catastrophic damage. Any support with emergency generators or wood supplies would be greatly appreciated during these critical times of sub-zero temperatures. That was a message posted to social media after a statewide cold snap knocked out power to Makhtovik. Calvin Tom is Makhtovik's tribal administrator. Everything here is powered by the generator, but we currently don't have a backup generator. Makhtovik's main generators draw power from batteries that weren't able to keep up with negative temperatures that fell to nearly 17 below. That means the entire community was without electricity for more than three days. For some reason, our batteries for our generator just drained. So Sunday, we didn't have any power all day until the the evening. It was all good following night, and then next morning, I woke up to no power. And we came to the determination that um, the batteries were being drained. Tom says they tried a few different methods, insulating the batteries from underneath, lifting them off a cold floor, charging them up, and using a space heater to keep them warm. But they simply wouldn't stay charged and couldn't keep up with demand. Well, the two smaller generators that we're using currently can't take the load. In the last year, the population in Makhtavik has increased from just over 180 people to nearly 230. That's because at least half a dozen new homes were built there last year to house families relocating from Newtok, where permafrost is melting and the land is waterlogged and sinking. With help from at least one federal agency and the Alaska Department of Homeland Security and Emergency Management, New batteries arrived from Bethel Wednesday, and the lights are now on in Makhtavik. But without electricity for a few days, the water plant froze. Now, Tom says Makhtavik is waiting for repair parts to fix broken pipes. There's a little creek. We call it uh, Makhtavik as well. It's like a a fresh spring water. Um, It's about a quarter mile outside the village. And people get their water over there. You just need a four-wheel or snow machine to go go to it. According to the Alaska Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Management, both the U.S. Bureau of Indian Affairs and the Yukon-Kuskokwim Health Corporation have shipped pallets of bottled water to Makhtavik. The BIA has also provided a shipment of firewood. In Anchorage, I'm Emily Schwing. Unalaska leaders are pushing back against a proposed petition to eliminate Chinook bycatch in the Bering Sea Alaska Pollock fishery. The tribal organizations submitting the petition represent nearly 100 tribes and communities in western Alaska. They're asking to completely eliminate any Chinook bycatch from the Pollock trawl fishery for 180 days. Unalaska Mayor Vince Tudiakov Sr. said in a letter that a zero cap would, quote, effectively shut down the entire Pollock fishery of the Bering Sea and create a, quote, dire situation for Unalaska. Bering Sea Pollock is the largest fishery in the nation and Unalaska's main economic driver. Tudiakov says 
Closing the Pollock fishery, which would be the logical result of imposing this restriction, would gut the local economy and reduce city revenues by 20%. A similar petition was denied in 2022. The tribes calling for action say the salmon runs in western Alaska have worsened in the ensuing years and that YK villages are experiencing a, quote, cultural emergency. Many in western Alaska have rung alarm bells over dismal salmon returns in recent years. Chum salmon has taken the spotlight recently. Blame often falls on Bering Sea trawlers and intercept fisheries like the Area M salmon fisheries in the eastern Aleutians, although experts agree the real culprit for declining salmon returns is climate change. Governor Mike Dunleavy introduced a pair of bills last month that would allow electronic monitoring aboard commercial fishing vessels in state fisheries. That electronic monitoring could be used in place of mandatory observers aboard fishing vessels. But some in the fishing industry are wondering why it's necessary, since only a small number of state-managed fisheries require onboard observation. KFSK's Hannah Floor has this story. Nels Evans is a longliner and gillnetter and the executive director of the Petersburg Vessel Owners Association. He says he's not sure what the bill's aim is. Because it is so broad and we don't understand what it's really trying to get at, we're not supportive of it. The pair of bills, one in the Senate and one in the House, stem from a discussion at last year's Board of Fisheries meeting. The board was trying to figure out how to enforce regulations that require Area M gillnetters to keep chum salmon instead of tossing them back in favor of much more valuable king salmon. Area M is along the Alaska Peninsula and eastern Aleutians. It intercepts some chum salmon bound for western Alaska. Often, fisheries enforcement relies on observer programs. People go out on the boats to report on the actions of the fishermen. But gillnet boats are small, so it's hard to find room for an extra person. When the board looked into the possibility of electronically monitoring state fisheries, they found they need to change the law to allow it. The bills would give the State Board of Fisheries the authority to require electronic monitoring in any state-managed fishery. According to a letter attached to the bills, examples of electronic monitoring could include video cameras and gear sensors that would capture information on fishing locations and catches. Evan says creating a statewide bill to fix a very specific problem is overreach. I think the worst fear would be that it's used for full electronic monitoring implementation for all vessels in all statewide waters, because that's ultimately what it would allow for, because it's so broad in its reach. Fishermen have to pay to have observers on their boats. They would also have to pay to install and maintain the electronic monitoring equipment. The Aleutians East Borough is home to many Area M fishermen. Last year, the borough sent a letter to the Board of Fish in opposition to electronic monitoring of state fisheries. They estimated the cost of installing monitoring equipment at $17,000 per boat, plus another $5,000 per year in maintenance. Don Spiegelmeyer is Southeast Fleet Manager for OBI Seafoods. He says he's worried about the cost to fishermen. With the downturn in prices in the commercial fishery in the last couple of years in particular, I am concerned that additional costs added on to fishermen that are barely hanging on now 
might push them over the edge financially. If the bills become law, the State Department of Fish and Game will manage the electronic monitoring program. Commissioner Doug Vincent Lang would have statutory authority to implement it. He says the cost of fishermen is a consideration for the Board of Fish when deciding whether to monitor a particular fishery. And he says that just because electronic monitoring is available doesn't mean it'll be used. This bill simply adds to the toolbox for the Board of Fisheries to consider when they want to have some kind of monitoring system for a commercial fishery to have electronic monitoring in addition to the opportunity to have an observer program. Currently, only a few state-managed commercial fisheries have mandatory observer programs for scallops and some crab. Vincent Lang says that with electronic monitoring as an option, it is possible that the Board of Fish would decide to monitor more fisheries. I think a fisherman would rather have electronic monitoring than, than having to put an observer on board their boat. In a letter attached to the bill, the State Department reported that there would be no cost to the state associated with the legislation, but funding probably would be needed to implement the program. The department would request that funding through the budget. Nominees to the Board of Fish are appointed by the governor and approved by the Alaska legislature. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. A hearing for SB 209 will take place Wednesday, February 7th at 1.30 p.m. Alaska time. This is KYUK News. I'm Sunny Bean. Koyana for listening. Please share your news tips, comments, or suggestions. You can email us at news at kyuk.org or message us on Facebook. And stay tuned for News Ganumchik coming up.